Jesus' name. Good. Everybody said amen. Okay, fine with me. I'm getting my stuff all mixed up right now. First Peter chapter 4. If it's warm in here, it's because the air conditioner just has a hard time catching up with it. So it's doing its best. You know, it's all three horses are running as fast as they can. Got those guys in the back running, the fan blowing. So we're on a 40, day of consec- 40 days of consecration. We're not listening to bunches of media. But with the uh, events of the hurricane this week, I... I semi-broke mine to get the picture of what was going on there in New Orleans. And I uh, turned on Fox and, and took a look at that and watched CNN a bit. And uh, how many spent a little time this, this past week looking at the scenes on TV just seeing what was going on? Okay, good. It's absolutely stunning what's going on there. And thank God they're beginning to turn a corner. And uh, our little prayer room here, we, uh, I mean, involuntarily got radically gripped somewhere around Tuesday and it just continued to heighten all the way through Friday and basically every intercession meeting that I was in the room on I wasn't leading but I just led on Tuesday I didn't even pray on the mic past Tuesday but everyone that I was around on I was watching people just go into just intense travail and intercession weeping and wailing Uh, just the hand of the Lord coming upon us and it was, it was uh, fearsome. Scary is a little bit of a, you know, you get the, scary is not quite, it was fearsome. And I, I was literally sitting in my chair and there's moments where I realized I'd just been staring for 15 or 20 minutes with a trembling in my heart, watching the intercessors in travail, weeping and wailing. And I don't want to make more of uh, what's going on. I don't want to dramatize it, but I don't think you can. I mean, you can do the let's show it on all the channels and let's hype it kind of a thing media wise. But to the heart, to our heart, I don't think things like what's what happened there in the Gulf Coast with this hurricane can really be dramatized. I don't think we um, are able to grasp the significance of events like this. There's a very strong indication that this is far more severe than the 9-11 event was. Um, they're, they're estimating the body count in the thousands now. And the, certainly the, uh, the uh, buildings and the, the, num- the dollar number of damage, I'm saying that really poorly, but however much it cost, is far, far surpasses 9-11. And so we're looking at this little event here and, and that this, this hurricane... To me, you've got the two events. You've got the hurricane, and then you've got the human cane. You've got the human actions after the hurricane. And they're, they're two different things. But you have the hurricane that comes and absolutely wipes multiple, not just one city, not just New Orleans, like multiple, multiple cities, just wipes them off. Just gone. And then you have the manifestation of wickedness uh, from the heart of man running rampant right in front of us on television chilling and so you know our little our little hearts we go oh, i don't want to hear more about that. i don't want to see more about that i want to deal with this this 
you know, get, put the tennis thing back on. Put the, where are the Saints going to play? Let's get back to football season. It's going to already start. We've got some football games on. And that's America to our, at our finest, isn't it? Or at our worst. We can't bear with reality, so we entertain us to, to deal with the pain of our heart. Entertain me. Fill me with a little medication. Come on. Don't, you don't need to, brother, you don't need to get all focused on the negative. Uh, you know, let's think about the good things. And, and I believe the Bible does say that. You know, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, think on these things absolutely for certain. But I think our problem, by and large, is this. We have no, uh, we have a very difficult way properly interpreting activity in the earth. And, and so what we do is we think uh, if it's uncomfortable and, and causes me pain, bad. Uh, and if it's uh, blessing me and causes me comfort and blesses my pocketbook, good. And so we go, well, I only want to think on that which is good, but not on that which would cause me uh, to be uncomfortable. And I think we have a real problem interpreting circumstances because we're deluded with the Western mentality. I'm shooting for the amens tonight. You better believe that. Not so much. So I'm going to go ahead and just, in, in humility, and I just want to say, honestly, I spent most of the part of the week in just weeping over this whole deal. With, not, if I wasn't weeping physically, my heart was, and, and just in fear and trembling. But I want to proclaim in humility, with a trembling spirit, with an idea to call us to intercession, to call us to prayer, and it was not with a finger pointing, you know, judgmental thing. I'm not trying to go there. So if it, if it, if, if it, something sounds like that, it's not my intention. My intention is my heart is shaken. I'm, I'm staggered. I feel very humble under the hand of a powerful God. And I'm, I'm aware right now, uh, strongly aware of the awe and the magnificence of our God and his power over the affairs of, of human life. And with, with a humble heart, I want to declare a few things. I think it's important that messengers will do that in this time. I, uh, so I, I'm watching MSNBC last night. And they click over. It's just, it, was, it was just perfect for me. I said, like, this is just thank you. Just thank you for the preaching bullet point. <laughs> so, you know, the, little, the, the moment that I'm watching, bam, they do it. So they click over to the, the, the British... Uh, the British uh, broadcasters to see what they're saying in England about the hurricane. And the guy gets on there and he goes, the headline of the paper, I won't even try my British accent, he goes, the headline of the paper reads, a superpowered humbled. A superpower humbled. And then it says, third world America, and it starts showing scenes. And then the British reporter begins to talk about how it's shocking to them and to the rest of the world that the United States could get hit so hard and how one storm could absolutely derail us from being able to even take care of our own people. And then they have the perfect sound bite. They're interviewing the little lady on the street. They go, so what do you think? She goes, I just can't believe a, a, a nation that strong with that much money can't immediately take care of themselves when, when something like this happens. And then the guy, so then they flip back to the MSNBC guy and the guy goes, he, he says it back. He goes, a superpower humbled. Those are painful words. Da, 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 moves on. I go, thank you very much. I wanted to write that. I was like, perfect. I go, you have just, you have just stated 
powerfully what is the, the, the affair of the situation. You've, you've, you've succinctly uh, you know, summarized it for me. I thought those were interesting world, words. A superpower humbled. Those are very painful words. The idea is that it's painful for the American public to think that the United States is vulnerable in any kind of a measure. And when challenges come to us, and I'm not going to bash, it's not about bashing the United States, I'm bashing, not even bashing, I'm talking about us as a people. When challenge, challenge comes to us as a people, when things don't add up, when stuff is hard, we have no way to, to uh, process the deal, and we look at the thing like this, a superpowered, humbled, oh, that's the worst thing that could happen to us. It's painful. Oh, no, not the United States humbled. I go, thank you, Jesus. God, thank you. I pray that that will seep deeply within the soul and the spirit of many within our country. That humility would begin to abound in us. God, I pray that we won't do this. We're Americans. We're going to get together. We're going to rebuild it. American pride. I pray we will not do that. But in humility, God will love and will serve and will do our very best knowing this, that God, you are sovereign. You are supreme. You are in control. You are the one that moves the hearts of kings. And you are the one that orders the events of human affairs. Period. And it's, it's, it's striking my heart, the power of our God. Further, it's striking my heart this, that He has an agenda. Do you know that God's got an agenda? He's got something He's trying to do, and He will do it. It's not even a matter of trying. It's something He is doing. He's got purposes. He is bringing to pass. He's got stuff. He is putting in action. He's making it happen. He's moving things around the way he desires. Why? To fulfill the good pleasure of his will. That's what Ephesians 2 says. He fulfills the good pleasure of his will. It's what he's after. His will is full of pleasure and goodness. It is. But getting to the fulfillment of his will is a little challenge because we're kind of rebellious people, humans in general. We, we have chosen many other things to worship besides the one that is the one that's worthy to be worshipped. So his, little, his plans don't necessarily run parallel to our plans. I should say it the other way. Our plans don't necessarily run parallel to his plans. Psalm 115 verse 3. It's one of my... I, I always say this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> They're all my favorites. There. I'll just read it to you. It says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He does whatever He pleases. Whatever He pleases. I started thinking about this, and, you know, I, I'm wondering will, will there be. Uh, preachers and proclaimers and ministers to say that this hurricane is the judgment of God. What will be the soundbite in the public? And I, I, so far, I haven't heard. I haven't heard much. I've heard some, and and what I have heard are, are uh, people saying, "Yes, this is the judgment of God." And I think it's interesting because uh, just a few years ago at the nine eleven event, there was a uh, real kind of a back and forth on the deals. Like one guy said, "Yeah, it is," and then he'd come back and repent because he said it, and it's like. Okay, I'm, I'm desirous that we as a people will be able to, with one voice and clear, clarity and unity, declare the purposes and the activity of God in the earth. We have a hard time declaring 
and processing the dealings of God in the affairs of men. And, and, and a lot of it's because we don't know God. We think we know God, but we don't know God. And so because we don't know God, we can't process properly what he does. We've got him as a whole nother different God than he really is. We're like the Israelites. We've made a God in our own image. And so the God that we made would never do a thing like that. And that's where, that's where the, really the rubber hits the, hits the road right there. Would God send a hurricane to wipe out a few cities, allow a death toll, devastate 25% of the United States oil refining capabilities? Would God do that on purpose? We have a real hard time saying that God would definitely do that. But I want to say with a humble heart, I don't want you to run out here and misquote the way I'm proclaiming this. With a humble heart, with fear and trembling, with a desire to to weep and intercede, I want to say this. I believe this is the judgment of God in our land. I believe this hurricane event is the judgment of God in our land. Absolutely. And the judgment of God is mercy. Here's what we've got, to, we've got to get our mind around. Would our God do something that's tough, that's even severe, to get us turn, to turn toward Him? It's like this. You know, we know the scripture says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to enter into life uh, with one eye than to you know, enter into death with both your eyes intact because your eye is causing you to sin. So Jesus, it's not, he's not going around telling people to stab themselves in the eye and get rid of their eye. But what he is saying is this. Deal ruthlessly with that which causes you to sin in this age. It's far better to have a little bit of a pain, a little bit of a challenge in this age and enter into eternity with God. And here's the way I think of it. God is very, uh, he's very much for breaking your hand off of that which you have wrapped it around that you love more than him that's causing you to sin. He's very much for breaking your hand off of that so that in, in a million years in, in, in eternity, when you turn around and you go, thank you for breaking my hand. He's going to go, I knew, I knew you'd be saying that now. That's why those 20 years of challenge and trial came on you. because I love you enough to break your hand so you'll spend eternity with me. So when we, when we don't understand and we don't have the picture of who God is, we, we have, a, we have a, a funny way to, to process what he does in the earth. And I think it's not like him. And so it's like I said a minute ago, we judge if it's a good thing, it's God. If it's a bad thing, it's the devil. And I don't really disagree with that. Good things come from God. That's what the Bible says. And, and Satan, he, he's the author of, of, of all these many negative things that we see. And certainly perversion and, and all these, these devilish things that we saw uh, that men, man were doing in, in New Orleans after the hurricane was very, it was sad and it was, it was demonic manifestation in my opinion. But, but we define good, here's, here's where the, the problem comes. We define good as that which benefits and blesses me uh, in comfort and money. That's what we define as good. It's good if I end up with more dollars and more comfortable. And bad we think of as anything that adversely affects my comfort and my money. It's really the way we live in the United States. You know, the guy gets, you know, he gets the money. We go, you're blessed. 
The guy loses the money. We go, we'll just pray for you to be blessed. <laughs> Get your money back. I had a, I had a good friend of mine a, a couple of years ago. He goes, bro, our ministry's income went down by 25% this year. He goes, that's nothing but the devil. I go, I don't know. Maybe it's God. He goes, how could you say that? I go, well, maybe he's trying to draw you to him instead of draw you to your pocketbook. He goes, uh, uh, I never thought of it like that. I go, yeah, well, right now you just told me you're fasting and praying more than you ever have, quote unquote, because you have less money. I go, that sounds like the Lord to me. Whoops. So I think we've got to reinterpret these things, guys. I'm just, I mean, I'm just submitting this. Let's just consider, maybe we got to reinterpret how things go. And so what happens is we, we identify that which blesses us, is, is that which makes us feel better uh, temporally, which is temporary. And uh, we don't have a context to process any dealings of God that could possibly bring uh, correction, pain, persecution, trials, judgment, martyrdom, wrath. We have no context for those things because we really think that God's dealings is really only about making us happy. That's an interesting verse. God's first priority is your happiness. Trying to remember where that one is. Just don't have a... His first priority is his good pleasure. His good pleasure is raising up a bride from the earth that's worthy of his son. He has no problem bringing pressings, trials, tribulations, challenges, devastation to, to finances, to... to Buildings to pocketbooks. He has no problem doing that, beloved. He doesn't. If it will bring redemption, he is so after redemption. He's so trying to bring redemption. So where we believe that God would never do anything like this to inconvenience us, I, th- I think we really got to re- reassess how do, we, how do we interpret the activity of God. And here's what I really think, you know, you talk to people and you go, how could a loving God, and they go, you know, how could a loving God fill in the blank, dot, 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 do this and that and the other and, and stuff. And, and I go, you know, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand that point. But the, the, what they're really saying is this, how could a loving God do that? Because that's not the God that I serve. The, the, you'll hear that other phrase. The God that I serve would never do that. Dot, 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 whatever the thing was. And, and you go, right, right. I understand what you're saying, uh, but the fact of the matter is God has got verses and verses and verses. He does all sorts of things. And what you're really saying is if the God that is up there really does do these things, you wouldn't want to serve him. And what it boils down to is this. We walk in pride demanding God to function according to our list of what our likes and dislikes are. We say, the God that I serve would never do that because the God that I serve is a God of love and God would never do that. We misinterpret love. We misinterpret the dealings of God and we put this list before God and say, you must follow my list or I'm not going to serve you. And that's really what the heart of people says. If you don't do it the way I like it, I will not serve you. You know what that is at the root? 
pride. It's arrogance that we could demand anything of God and, and act as if He should do what we want Him to do. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He's got a plan. He's really about making it happen. So that attitude that God would never do anything to inconvenience us, it's just a cover-up for the fact that we're offended with the reality of who God is. Offended with the reality of who God is. How could you say God would bring devastation on a city? I could say it this way because God wants to get a city to turn toward Him. And He gives a prophetic warning in 99, and then He, then he gives another one in 2005, and, th- and then He gives another one in, you know, six weeks out, and then He gives another one one week out, and then He sends a judgment that takes three days to get there. What, what's the, that's the mercy of God. He goes, get out. I'm getting rid of the city. We're starting over in New Orleans. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting over in New Orleans. That's the word of the Lord right now. It's all starting over. And so he goes, all of you guys leave because we're starting the deal all over. I've got a whole other vision and dream for New Orleans, and I want to do it my way if it's okay with everybody else. Actually, you know what? If it's not okay, it doesn't matter. I'm still doing it my way. And that's the Lord on it. And then you have the human element. We don't, we don't like that, but that's really where it is. So here's, here's where it goes down to. It takes meekness and takes humility doused in the reality of God's love for people to be able to embrace something like this. Yeah, that hurricane's the judgment of God, beloved. It's, it's His hand moving in the course of human affairs to break our fingers off of that which we've loved in order for that we'll turn to Him and embrace Him. It's absolutely redemptive. There's opportunity galore for people to turn and embrace God through it. It is His judgment. We've got to be able to embrace that. To be able to embrace that, we've got to be humble. We've got to be able to take it through a lens of God's great love for us. He wants us. He loves people. He wants people. That's why He would judge people. That's it. When we have a different lens and we have a different way to process, we don't understand the activities of God. We will misinterpret and we will be offended with God. We'll be offended with his dealings in the earth and we'll turn from God. We'll say no to what he's proposing, what he's purposing in the planet. We'll run and we'll serve another God. We'll make another God that we can serve that won't do anything offensive to our hearts. And I, I call us to this. Let's go deep in the knowledge of who this God is that we serve. Let's find out who He is. Behold, our God is great. We do not know Him. Let's find out who God is. I tell you, in this time, that the, that the, uh, the judgments of God are in our land. Settle that right now. Settle that right now in your heart. We are living in the land of the judgments of God. The decrees and the activity of God are moving in our land to accomplish His purpose. Settle it right now. We're living in the land of the judgment of God. And I would say this, the anchor for us in this time and in this season is to know this God, to understand His ways, to know His heart of love, His heart of compassion, to know His kindness, to understand who He is or else we will never be able to process His activities in the earth. Somewhere First Peter 4 is going to get read. Are you there? 
Just hold on, First Peter 4 for a second. Just, I'm trying to round this out. I'm trying to give us a, a picture and a context. We misunderstand judgment. Let me just give you a little bit on judgment. The most often, the, the word judgment, I just want to teach for a minute. The most often times that the word judgment's used in the New Testament, so it's a Greek word, it's a krisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. Change one letter and you know what it is. Crisis. It literally means a decision. A determination. That's what it literally means. A determination. So judgment in and of itself is not solely a negative thing. In fact, in the mind of God, it's always a positive thing. Because whenever God makes a decision to act into human affairs, he's always bringing something negative against the kingdom of darkness and bringing something positive for the kingdom of God. 100% of the time. So judgment includes everything that falls uh, underneath the decisions that God makes. So think of judgment as the heading. Underneath judgment, you have correction to the believer. God disciplines and corrects those whom he loves. That is a judgment of God. You remember judgment begins with the house of God. I'm quoting 1 Peter 4. Try not to get there yet. Judgment begins with the house of God. It's the correction of God. He brings correction on those. Why? Because he loves them. He's trying to make them worthy for his son. It is the activity of God toward the church. Judgment. It really is. It's something we're called to embrace. Now, it's hard hard to imagine, but sufferings. I've got notes and notes and scriptures and scriptures on this. Sufferings are the judgment of God for the benefit of believers. It's hard to hear in the West, but it's true. Persecutions, trials, those are the decrees of God for believers' benefit in this age. Thank you. That one amen, Joel, way to go. We don't want to hear this, but it's truth. And there's verses and verses. I'm not coming with my opinion. I'm coming based on what these verses are telling me. I go, oh goodness, this isn't what I thought. I thought judgment was for the bad guys. I'm a good guy. It, it includes discipline, trials, persecution, sufferings. That's what he does to the church. To the world, there are basically two kinds of judgment. One is redemptive. It offers the ability for people to repent. The other is non-redemptive. And the scripture calls it wrath. Wrath. It's a non-redemptive judgment. Wrath falls underneath this, the decision of God. And you'll see it throughout the verses in the Bible. He says, uh, he poured his wrath upon Babylon. And he, and he discusses different times where God moves in a non-redemptive way and destroys entire cities, 100% of them. It's a wrath of God on those places. The wrath of God includes vengeance and vindication. Vengeance and vindication. Vengeance is payback. It has to do with this. God will pay you back according to your deeds in this age. That's what Romans 2 says. He says you're storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and vengeance and and vindication of the Lord. That's what Romans 2 says. You store up wrath. Talking about the ungodly. It's a payment for wickedness. It's a rejection of Jesus. It's uh, ill treatment of the bride. He's paying back for all those things. It's called wrath. Vindication is this. He's proving Jesus and his bride to be right. It's a quick overview of judgment. 
We went through the different things that have just, I'm just touched them, and then the, the way it, it touches the church and the way it touches the world. Now, let's look at 1 Peter 4. First Peter four sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, the righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator. A couple points I want to make. Number one is this. This is a word for the church beginning in the first century. Judgment begins with the house of God. From the time that Jesus Christ came into the earth, judgment came into the earth. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. And Jesus said when he came, judgment came upon the world. Why? Because he was righteous. Men did not love light. He brought light. And therefore, there's a decree against darkness through the coming of Messiah. So judgment, the judgment of God has actually been in the earth uh, powerfully since the days of Messiah. And in the Old Testament, in, in force against many that did not know God. So this word from Peter specifically applies to the church in the first generation, but is, uh, p- applies accurately to to all generations including ours now judgment begins with the household of god and so then he identifies the judgment that's beginning with the household of god as sufferings verse 17 time has come to be uh, for judgment to begin at the house of god and then he asks this this very Hard question, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So the second point is this, that one of the judgments that God releases upon his people is sufferings. We just don't amen that very good. And it's easier to preach than it is to live, but it's absolutely the truth. And two weeks ago, I preached about the context for humility. And I talked about how God has strategized and worked together for your life the exact context that works best for you to see you become meek and humble, one worthy to love his son. And this 78, maybe 80 years you get in this age is all about this God training you through a variety and array of ways to become worthy to love his son and embrace his son and rule with his son. And so God works together a context. It includes persecutions. It includes suffering. It includes trials. It includes his judgments upon your life and corrections. 
It includes his love and his manifestation of blessing in your life. It includes all sorts of features in this age. He works together the best context for you so that you'll become worthy to serve and to love his son for eternity. It's hard for us to interpret the activity of our life in this age because we generally will look at it based on how it affects us in the next day, 30 days, 365 days. We don't many times have a picture of how the activity that's going on in our life, the pressings, the challenges, the troubles will affect us in a hundred million years from now. But that's really what God is after. He is after pressing your heart so you'll abandon yourself to him and you'll give himself, give yourself to him an absolute abandonment, which at the core of it is humility. And it absolutely takes this feature, meekness and humility to embrace what God's doing in your life and say yes to it. You have to be humble, beloved. And so this admonition from Peter is stunning. He makes the judgment of God suffering on the church. And then he says it this way. When it's on you, verse 19, whoever's suffering according to the will of God, look at that, suffering according to the will of God, that's, oh, that's right in our face. That's just right there for America. There is no, we think there is no suffering. He goes, no, there's suffering for you in my will. But he goes, those who suffer, he goes, in the suffering, commit your soul to him. Commit your soul to him. I read the story of a 105-year-old woman who had been living outside the Superdome for two days. Her nurse was 60 and they had the nurse's grandbaby or whatever. He was five with them. And this 105-year-old woman was in a wheelchair. And uh, she was incontinent. And she hadn't been able to be clean in a couple days. And this woman, they interviewed her. And they, they asked her, they said, what, so what's, what are you thinking? She goes, I'll tell you what. This is hard. But God is in control. I know he's got my best interest at hand. I know he loves me and he's working for my best even in this. It's easy to preach on the outside, but can you imagine? She's outside the Superdome. 105. I said, what is that? I go, Lord, she's committing her soul to you. I mean, Revelation 19.7 is alive and well. The bride. I mean, I think Jesus is looking at that woman going, angels, do you see that? The bride has made herself ready. And in our, in our limited view in this age, we would look at that woman and go, oh, it's the stench. She's unclean. She's 105. She's out there. She's just babbling. She's nothing. The wealthy of this world would look at this woman and say, she's got nothing. Jesus goes, oh, she's ready to rule and partner with me forever. Look at her. This is awesome. This is awesome. Even in suffering at that measure, she's committing her soul to the Lord. I go, oh, I want to get a lunch with her, Jesus. All right, last thing. Let's, uh, let's turn over to the book of Revelation. I want to, I want something to touch you. I want the power of this to hit your spirit. These events that we're seeing, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, 
These are what the Bible identifies in Matthew 24 as beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs. They're not even the real thing yet. For, for you ladies that have had babies, this is Braxton Hicks. You get a few, you go, oh, it's time, you're running, ready for the baby. Nothing happened. Oh, come on back. This, that's what it is. It's Braxton Hicks. It's the beginning of birth pangs. It's a starting of labor, but it's not the real labor yet. It's just an indication that the time is starting to get close, sort of. And here's what I want to say to you guys. Listen, this is going to get worse. These judgments are coming. It's going to get worse. For real. Western lifestyles are going to be radically disrupted before the end. Massively radically disrupted. Let the weight of this hit your spirit. This is not an isolated you know, unique event. It is the birthing of a kingdom. Through the birthing of the kingdom, there are many things that the Bible identifies that have to happen for that kingdom to be birthed. Powerful things have to manifest on the earth. The earth will be shaken in force by the Lord. It's going to get worse. This is, a be- this is one little storm localized in terms of its effect hit one little gulf area several cities I mean I don't want to minimize what it's done and the impact it's done in those cities it's absolutely devastated them but we're talking about a handful of cities as it relates to the whole globe it's going to get far far worse there's going to be dynamic trials and tribulations come upon the planet God is going to knock out every single prop that people prop themselves up with. And he's going to cause the, uh, the choices to get really narrow. God or the devil, pick. He's going to do it by the power of his hand. He's going to, he's going to release judgments on the planet that will narrow it. Why? Because he loves people enough to give them a clear opportunity to choose. It's absolutely the mercy of God. It's coming. Guys, we're living in the land of the judgment of God. I'll tell you what gripped me. Let's just get personal for a minute. You know what gripped me powerfully this week? Atlanta is no worse than, I mean, New Orleans is no worse than Atlanta. Can we talk? I mean, come on. It's it's not that, oh, they deserved it, Mardi Gras, blah, blah, blah. Let's stop with that. Get for real. You think that our city's better than they are? We have a night and day reality of sin powerfully manifest from our city. We have a homosexuality running rampant in our city. We've got abortion running rampant in our city. Our streets are running with the blood of the innocents. We have all sorts of uh, wrong dealings in business. The, the federal uh, financial buildings, I don't even know the names of them, they all have their root right here in Georgia. And, and, and all the weird misdealings of federal financial money, it all stems right here from Atlanta. We have a massive negative history in slavery. I had a friend of mine, he came through Atlanta, he goes, you know, Atlanta's actually pretty. I go, uh-huh. Like he was surprised. I go, yeah. 
He's from Kansas City. I go, yeah, not like Kansas City. <clears throat> he goes, well, I would have just figured that you guys would have bought some funky curse with all that slave trade you did. And I went, yeah, good point. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, Atlanta's not in a better, any better shape than New York or than... New Orleans or Biloxi or name the little place. It's not in any better shape. In fact, we are dead center in the, in the bullseye. The wickedness and the debauchery that our city manufactures all day, every single day. And get this, there is no cry for mercy night and day from our city. We got a few little prayer meetings going in this house. It doesn't go 365, 24-7. It goes during the week a few, few hours. We are still sitting, get this, we are, in my opinion, we are still sitting ducks without any kind of a, a covering, crying out for mercy for our city. And we definitely don't have an open heaven. We definitely don't have a, a, a city of refuge established. And we are in the land of the judgments of God. I see the numbers that stood tonight to, to find themselves at night and day in the place of prayer. And I go, God, make it so like now. In your mercy, God, make it so now. I'm trembling inside because I realize that Atlanta has bought just as much the judgment of God as any other place, beloved. This is not a, this is not a scare feature. This is the reality of where we live. And I'm telling you, these things are coming and they're going to come more and more and more. And that's before the stuff that the Bible identifies in the book of Revelation ever hits. The Bible says in the, end, in, in, in the end, uh, last days, the love of many will grow cold. They'll be offended. Why? Because they don't have a right recognition of who God is. They don't know His love. They'll get offended with His activity in the earth. And I'm staring this down and I'm going, you know, a month ago, I'm, I was sitting there going, the Lord was correcting my heart going, you trying to get 24-7 prayer, Humphrey, why do you want it? And I go, for you, right? He goes, is it? He's dealing with me on Philippians 2, selfish ambition. I go, oh, God, let it not be. Oh, God. And now I'm going, we must get night and day prayer crying for mercy. The judgments of God are going to slam. It's coming to Atlanta, beloved. It is. There must be a cry from the church saying, have mercy on our city, God. Set up a city of refuge. Open the heavens and have mercy on this city. We have no prevailing cry for mercy, beloved. We have a prevailing cry to build our ministries. We don't have a prevailing cry for mercy of God in the land of judgment. And I'm stung with it. Revelation 15. Here's where the rubber meets the road. It comes down to this. And I've wrestled through this reality this last week because I am convinced we are living in the land of the judgments of the Lord. But can I say what, they, what the saints in Revelation 15, standing on the sea of glass, are going to say just prior to the wrath of God devouring the planet? Revelation 15, it's just prior to the seven bowls of wrath, which are real uh, wrath features. Seven of them, will, they will absolutely devour the planet Isaiah 13 says it like this. He says, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. The end of the age. 
And at, 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 the, at the prospect of that happening, with the saints standing on the sea of glass before the Lord, here's what they say in verse 3. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. Your judgments have been manifest. Just and true. I tell you, we get these beginning of birth pangs. We get these few tremors going. We get a city hit with a hurricane. We get, you know, it's devastation in a, in a limited sense here. But we have got to, with a heart that is humble and embracing God and all that He is, we've got to be able to look, peer right into the reality of this thing and say, You are just and you are true. All your ways are righteous. All your judgments are good. I agree with you 100% in all that you do, Lord. In this age, I'm crying, have mercy. If our hearts are not aligned in that place, I'm telling, when the judgment of God nails us, when it comes on our city, we will be offended. We've got to align ourselves with God's plan and purpose. I tell you, he's going to have his way. He must bring us through pressing so we will get our hands off of everything that hinders love and embrace him solely. He's going to kick out the props. I tell you, in the day when he's kicking the props, he's going to release power on the church to proclaim with clarity, with an apostolic witness, with signs and wonders and miracles in a way we've never seen before. They're going to come in in parallel fashion. The judgment of God will hammer the planet and and the church will operate in the greatest dimension of signs, wonders, and miracles. I tell you, the church that that will operate in that will be the praying, fasting church. They will operate in apostolic power at the end of the age, right in the middle of judgments with a heart unoffended in love for Jesus. Jesus. Come on! (laughs) I'm a little stirred up. Okay. (sighs) That's where this thing is going. It's where it's going. And 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 I've said this before, but in light of these things, I'm talking very serious tonight. If what we're doing right now doesn't make sense in terms of the end of the age and the age to come, I would cause, I would call you to consider what you're doing. If it doesn't make sense in light of the end of the age and the age to come, I call you to bring it into consideration. I'm talking about ruthless consideration before the Lord. And I tell you, the, the, most, the most wise place I, I think that you can find yourself right now is in a place of fasting, prayer, intercession, going deep in the knowledge of God. So in the day when the judgments of God begin to hammer the planet in a much more severe fashion than what we're seeing even now, our hearts will be unoffended before Him in love, agreeing with Him, crying out, just and true are all your ways. Good, amen. Let's stand. Worship team, come on. Lord, Lord, I pray you'd lay us bare. Lay us bare of our own opinion. Lay us bare of our own ways. Lord, I pray you'd lay us bare of our own desires. Lay us bare of our priority on comfort. 
Lord, I pray a, a devastating spirit.